So this is uh, Judges 3, 12 to 30, and the story of Ehud. Once more, the Israelites started disobeying the Lord. So he let them be defeated by King Eglon of Moab, who had joined forces with the Ammonites and the Amalekites uh, to attack Israel. Uh, Eglon and his army captured Jericho. Then he ruled Israel for 18 years and forced the Israelites to pay heavy taxes. The Israelites begged the Lord for help, and the Lord chose Ehud from the Benjamin tribe to rescue them. They put Ehud in charge of taking the taxes to King Eglon, but before Ehud went, he made a double-edged dagger. Ehud was left-handed, so he strapped the dagger to his right thigh, where it was hidden under his robes. Ehud and some other Israelites took the taxes to Eglon, who was a very fat man. As soon as they gave the taxes to Eglon, Ehud said it was time to go home. Ehud went with the other Israelites as far as the statues at Gilgal. Then he turned back and went upstairs to the room where Eglon had his throne. Ehud said, Your Majesty, I need to talk for you in private. Eglon replied, Don't say anything yet. His officials left the room, and Eglon stood up as Ehud came closer. Yes, Ehud said, I have a message for you from God. Ehud pulled out the dagger with his left hand and shoved it so far into Eglon's stomach that even the handle was buried in his fat. Ehud left the dagger there. Then after closing and locking the doors to the room, he climbed through a window onto the porch and left. When the king's officials came back and saw the doors were locked, they said, the king is probably inside relieving himself. They stood there waiting until they felt foolish, but Eglon still didn't open the doors. Finally, they unlocked the doors and found King Eglon lying dead on the floor. But by that time, Ehud had already escaped past the statues. Ehud went to the town of Sariah in the hill country of Ephraim and started blowing a trumpet as a signal to call the Israelites together. When they came, he shouted, follow me. The Lord will help us defeat the Moabites. The Israelites followed Ehud down to the Jordan Valley, and they captured the places where people crossed the river on the way to Moab. They would not let anyone go across, and before the fighting was over, they killed about 10,000 Moabite warriors. Not one escaped alive. Moab was so badly defeated that it was a long time before they were strong enough to attack Israel again, and Israel was at peace for 80 years. Wow, nervous. Um, if you get bored, there's some really good fight scenes in Second Kings. Um, so I was in a pub with my dad the other day. I said, you're around. He said, so are you. Thanks, Dad. It was uh, New Year's Eve when things for me went wrong. I was in town with a charity looking after people who'd had too much to drink. And with it being New Year's Eve, it was carnage. And we were with a lady who were helping get away from a husband who'd battered her. I'm not going to share the details because we've got kids in the room, but she was covered in cuts and bruises, and she was terrified. She didn't want to involve the police, so she asked us to help her get away. And we were helping her back to a hotel to pack to leave when her husband turned up screaming abuse and threats at her and at us. He went to attack her, and I was assaulted trying to stop him. I don't remember much of what happened. I do remember him being arrested. I think... I gave a statement to the police, but we got her away, and to me, that was a good result. It was the day after that the headache started, pain right across my head, and as the days wore on, they got worse and worse, to the point it was every day, every minute I was awake. Now, I saw four doctors, I was in hospital twice, and nothing seemed to work, and this went on for months. I lost all my energy. My ability to do stuff just tank, and I hit the point where I thought, well, 
this is it, this is just how life is now. It seemed to be this big festering wound that countless people were praying into, but nothing seemed to happen. And I put a brave face on it the best I, I could, but I was aware there was this big area of weakness in my life that was dominating everything. And when you, when you hit that point where you're acutely aware of your own weakness, the place where you don't feel you measure up, your mind, it goes to strange places. I started to wonder, has God closed the door on my health? Can there ever be a breakthrough? What have I done to cause this? I felt absolutely useless to God and to my church, and I lost hope. And I hit the point eventually where I had to ask God, I've got this big weakness in my life, and I feel absolutely useless and broken because of it. Can God still use me in spite of this? But I don't think I'm alone in wondering that. I wonder if many of us have been in that place where we have those places in our lives where we feel weak. They drag us down and we wonder, can God use us in spite of that? You see, the Bible calls us to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that means every part of us, the good and maybe the not so good. And all of us, I think, there can be times when that's harder to do than others. We all have those places we feel weak, where we don't quite feel up to scratch those things that we're ashamed of, that we hide away, where we don't see how God could work. And they can be big things, little things, things that people have spoken over you, or there could be things that you live with day after day that live just under the surface. And those things that can drag you down, they can make you question the power and the goodness of God. They stop us from giving everything to him. Things and events and circumstances can happen that knock us. They shake our confidence and our sense of who we are in God. An overbearing boss can crush us. Age can make us cynical. Hurts can make us numb. Words can scar us. And doubts can make us question. The children's writer Anne Nahr once said, we tend to be our own worst critics. And the thing is, if we're completely honest, whether we'd admit it or not, we all have those things in our lives that make us wonder, can God use me in spite of this? And I don't know what that might look like for you. Maybe you've got anxiety and it stops you easily making relationships. Maybe like me, you're a bit overweight and people seem to see only see your waistline and not the person behind it. Maybe you've been single for ages and you've tried plenty of fish and Tinder and I've seen some of you on there and you've swept right enough times but you feel ultimately unlovable. Maybe you suffer from stress or depression and people have told you that you know use to God or to the church. Maybe you know you're, you're a bit older and you see this Christian culture aimed at young people and you wonder if there's room for you. No matter our situation, we all have those places in our lives that we see as our weaknesses, even if we could never acknowledge them. And if we let them, those things can become a hindrance to God's power because we get scared of letting him in. And what it's tempting to do is to think that those places we feel weak will ruin our futures, that there are somehow these great things out there that we are being kept from if only, good fa if only God would act. Because God could never use that thing for his glory. Because our weaknesses make us think often we're not good enough. Almost like those places we feel weak are somehow bigger than God. 
Look around this room. How many callings have been ignored because of the places we feel weak? How many people have missed out on God's best for their lives because they don't see themselves as worthy of it? I'd bet there's disappointment in this place. There's discouragement in this place. There is hurt and anger and frustration and grief in this place, all because of those things that make us feel weak. And I think the common perspective is that those things somehow get past God or we don't really believe it when the Bible says that he can work all things for the good of those that love him. But as we're about to sing, we can take a step of faith to believe his word that says he will work all things out for us. And if there is something better for us and for his glory that he will give it to us, he's always going to give us what's best for his glory. So I guess the good news in all this is that we're not the first people to wonder if God could ever work through us, despite the places we feel weak. The judges did as well. Now, if you turn with me to Judges 3, and again, if you get bored, turn to 2 Kings, um, you're going to see exactly that. The book of Judges takes place about 1200 BC. It's a historical book, but it's also a book of cycles. And as you read it, you'll see the same cycle over and over again. Now, the real uh, Ehud obviously wasn't made of Lego. It was a real person. Um, he probably joined Lego Hub. Um, verse 12 tells us, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. So the people of Israel sin against God. That sin leads them into a place of slavery under an evil king or nation in this place, um, uh, King Eglon and the Moabites. And that results in Israel crying out to God, and God raises up a savior. So sin leads to slavery, but there is always a saviour. And the saviours that God raises up are, at this point, are called judges. And what's interesting about them is they're all average people with very obvious flaws. Gideon was a man who was called to be a war leader, but was such a coward he hid from God in a wine press. I don't know what a wine press is, but... Deborah was a woman leading at a time when women were wrongly considered second-class citizens. Samson was a bit of a muppet who was blessed by God but did nothing but mess up over and over. There's nothing special about them, nothing really that sets them apart, just like us. They're normal people, but they didn't let their places they were weak get in the way of God working through them. And so we come to Ehud, Lego Oriel, and... I like Ehud because he seems to just be a normal bloke. There's nothing fancy or pretentious about him. Verse 15 tells us, Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, son of Gera the Benjaminite. Now, what's interesting is that Ehud is described as left-handed. Now, It doesn't just mean that he, he used his left hand. The Hebrew translates as bound in the right hand. In other words, there was a good chance he was disabled or crippled. And he comes from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin translates as the right hand of God. And they were famous in Chronicles, being able to use both hands in battles. Hands everywhere. But what you've got 
effectively is a tribe that can use both hands in battle. And Ehud isn't able to do that. So by the standards of his tribe, he's seen as a lesser man because of his very obvious weakness. In fact, at the time, being right-handed was the normal, and without wanting to cause offense, being left-handed was seen as evil, so much so that we get our word sinister from the Italian sinestra, which means left-handed. So by the standards of his tribe, Ehud is lesser. By the standards of the people at the time, Ehud is lesser. He's literally a nobody with a very apparent weakness. And yet, God somehow still uses this guy above all of the men to do something amazing. And how great is our God that he can take a man who the world around him says is weak, unusable, a cripple, unwanted, and use him above anyone else for the greatness of his kingdom. So Ehud is sent to King Eglon to pay tribute. See, because of his weakness, he isn't seen as a threat. He's seen as expendable, sent into the presence of a murderous, evil king. But he's able to do something that no one else could do. Judges 3.16 tells us, Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. Because of his weakness, he's able to sneak a weapon close to the king. Because of that place people see him as weak, he's able to do something no one else would be able to do. And verse 19 tells us, the king said to his attendants, leave us. And they left. Because the king feels secure enough in the presence of Ehud, because all King Eglon sees is Ehud's weakness. But the very thing that seemed like a setback for Ehud for his entire life, being bound in the right hand was actually a setup for God to do something amazing through him. Look at the victory that Ehud achieves. Verses 20 to 21 tell us, Ehud then approached him while he was sitting in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud plunged his left, drew, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. It sounds a bit like a cheesy action film. There's a lot of fairly graphic detail in this passage. It's brutal, it's nasty, it could be really easy to over-spiritualize this stuff or explain it away. But we need to see it's real. And we need to see it's real through what God empowered Ehud to do because we need to recognize that this can happen for us as well. Because like Ehud stabbing the evil King Eglon, there is a crunch point with this stuff. There is a point where God is going to call each of us to act in that place where we feel weak, to do things for his glory despite our weakness. And we have a choice. And we can hide in our weakness. We can make an idol of the way people see us, the lies that are spoken over us. We can let ourselves get so entrenched in ways of thinking and acting that it breaks us. Or we can do what Ehud did. We can act in that place of weakness. We can make a decision not to be defined by it, not to be bound up by it, but to see God act through it. Like the passage, it might not be pretty, it might not be something comfortable, but God can work through our weaknesses for his glory. Verses 29 to 30, we see Ehud lead the Israelites to conquer the Moabites, killing 10,000 of them. 
leading the land peace for 80 years, something that should really have been impossible for anyone in Ehud's position. But it's something that God does working through Ehud's obedience, through that place he feels weak, to bring complete freedom, mercy, and justice for his people. Because in that place you feel most vulnerable and you feel most weak, that's the place where God's power can be made most perfect. So you could probably sum this story up as, I don't know, lefty killed hefty, maybe. Um, but so what? You know, 3,000 years ago, someone stabbed a fat bloke. Who cares, right? It's easy to say it's the Old Testament doesn't apply to us. But aren't we all a bit like Ehud? Because like Ehud, you will have those places you feel weak, whether you'd acknowledge them or not. And like Ehud, you have a choice. And you can stay bound up in that weakness. You can trap by doubt of fear and hurt. So we can do what he did and take a step of faith and let God act through it. Because in recognizing that place where we feel weak and confronting it, that should be the very thing that drives us back to a perfectly loving and holy God. Because what if that thing in your life that you consider your biggest weakness, the thing that you think God could never use, that you hide away from, was not a thing that God had forgotten, but it was the very place where God's power could be made most perfect in your life. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power can rest in me. And what if what Ehud had, being bound in the right hand, wasn't a weakness, but it was the place where God's grace and power could be made most perfect. What if that place you feel weak, where you feel broken, where you feel hopeless, where you feel you'll never see a breakthrough, where prayers have never been answered? It wasn't a curse. It wasn't some sort of punishment, but it was actually the place where Christ would say to you, my power can be made perfect in that weakness. Your biggest place that you feel weak might just be God's greatest platform to display his glory and power in your life. As Jesus said in Matthew 19, 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like, and that is the key to this passage, the kingdom of heaven. Because this world, our standards, our logic, we think we get it. We think we know what's right and wrong and what, can, what God can and can't act through and where we feel weak. But in the kingdom that Jesus is building through his church, through those who would call him Lord, Jesus wants to radically redefine your concepts of weak and strong. And that's important because if we try and impose our standards onto God, rather than letting God impose his standards onto us, we are going to miss out on so much that God has for us. Because in that place, we are most vulnerable. Where we are most weak. That's the place that God's power can be made most perfect. And there was one who, in the moment of his biggest weakness, did the most good. All the Gospels talk about the crucifixion of Jesus. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And he was beaten, tortured, whipped, and nailed to a cross. And on that cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment when the Father turns his face from his only son, and Jesus takes the punishment. 
It takes our place on the cross that we have earned through our sin. Through the Son of God making himself less, we are made right with God. A way to God is made for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. And in that moment of intense vulnerability for Jesus, that moment he cries out, Jesus did the most good for us. We are restored and we are redeemed only because of Jesus Christ. And what Ehud did was a picture of what Jesus Christ would do on the cross. Because just like Jesus, Ehud acted in that place of weakness. And he did something amazing. And each of us is called to be like Ehud. Fearless, brave, no matter how much that place we feel weak hurts us or how hopeless it seems. And for you, that might mean that we find those areas you feel you're weak and we take a small step of faith like Ehud. We ask God, how can you be glorified through this? I'll give you an example. Some of you might remember when we talk about the year of invitation. Christian spoke about a, a lady that came here. No one spoke to her. And she left and she emailed and said she'd never come again. By anyone's standards here, that should be a horrifying, heartbreaking story. But I know many of us here have issues with anxiety. We think in the natural, I could never speak to them. But yet, if you suffer with anxiety or something like that, you know what it's like to be on the outside. You know what it's like to be on the fringes. Who better than you to relate to them, to be intentional to welcoming people in? Like when Ehud stabbed Eglong, it might not be straightforward. It might not be pretty. It might be a little bit stress, stressful. But how much more is the kingdom of God built by us being obedient and taking a step of faith in that place we feel weak rather than running from it? So where do you feel weak? Maybe you feel weak because you've dealt with divorce. And sometimes the church can be condemnative of that. But who can't God's power be made perfect through you to reach people who are in abusive relationships and bring restoration to marriages? Maybe you feel weak because of your appearance, your self-image, but can't God's power be made perfect through that to reach others who are struggling in that place? Maybe you feel weak because of stress or depression, but who better than you to have God's power made perfect through that to reach others when they're struggling? Maybe you feel weak because of your age. Maybe you feel you're getting on a bit and nothing, nothing to contribute, but who better than you to have God's power work made perfect through that to impart wisdom and knowledge and bring up and raise up a new generation? Look, you're not going to go from weak to strong overnight. If you try and rush it in your own strength, all you're going to do is pass your problems on to other people. There's a healing process that needs to happen, and God wants to heal and minister to those places we feel weak. His heart breaks when ours breaks. He hurts when we hurt. But 1 Samuel 26, 23 says the Lord rewards everyone for their faithfulness and righteousness, and it starts with a step of faith in the place we feel weak. If we are willing to step out like Ehud did, if we are willing to, tr to make that step in that place of weakness and prayerfully trust God, God's power can be made perfect through us. You do the possible, he'll do the impossible. You do the believable, he'll do the unbelievable. 
you do the natural, he will do the supernatural. All it takes is a step of faith. Because in that place, you are most vulnerable. Where you are most weak, that is the place that God's power will be made the most perfect. And imagine what would happen in our community if all of us began to model that kind of faithfulness in the places we felt weak. Imagine if we were a church and a movement that wasn't just defined by our very, very obvious strengths and what we did well, but instead we were known for the things that we struggle with, the places we don't get it right. Imagine if we were faithful enough to stand in those places, corporately and individually, and say, God, how can you be glorified through this? Imagine if people looked at us as individuals, families, as a church, and they saw where we're strong. They saw our great music and the great preachers that we have and the great leaders. But more than that, they saw the places where we're not getting it right. And through that, they saw God's power made perfect, changing lives, bringing restoration, healing the sick, tearing down barriers and strongholds. How different would this city be? How different would our lives be? How different would the lives of people be if they would see the love and hope and forgiveness that can only come through knowing Jesus Christ as Lord? So this summer, as we go our separate ways, as we recalibrate for next term and everything that brings with it, be it hubs and the move to burn home, I want us to ask ourselves, where do we feel weak? Let's not be afraid to open that door anymore, to look at ourselves and ask the question. And like Ehud, let's ask God, how can you be glorified through this? And like Ehud, let's take a step of faith in those places. And my prayer for us this summer is that we'll be brave enough to let God into those places we feel weak, that we'll be faithful enough to take that step of faith, and that we would see God lifted high and lives transformed because of what we do, what he does through our weaknesses. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for everything that you're doing. I pray, God, that you would speak to each of us today in that place we feel weak, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, Father. I pray that you would make us bold, that you would make us strong father you'd give us that same spirit that Ehud had to lead us to that place where we can say God is lifted high and lives are changed because of what you've done through that place we feel weak in Jesus name amen